to. We're going to start today with Sumant Mandal, Managing Director of March Capital Partners. Sumant, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Sumant, let's start by having you uh, introduce yourself a little bit as well as March Capital and your other early stage investment activities. Um, sure. So, I have been an investor in technology since um, the year 2000, so almost two decades now, and um, have invested broadly across the spectrum, very early stage companies, have incubated more than 25 companies, um, all the way to pre-IPO companies, and, and have taken a few companies public as well, so sit on some public boards. March Capital was a fund I co-founded about five years ago. We have about $700 million under management. We have about um, 50 companies in the portfolio already in five years. I also co-founded two incubators in the Bay Area. One is called The Hive with a gentleman that is a good friend of yours, T.M. Ravi. The other one is an um, incubator called The Fabric. The Hive focuses on artificial intelligence-driven companies, really enterprise software using artificial intelligence is the focus these days. And the fabric focuses on cloud and networking infrastructure software companies. And then I also co-founded a, a, a smaller venture fund, early stage venture fund in India. So I've been active in investing in India for over a decade. So that's my introduction, but happy to answer any questions that you may have. Well, um, let's uh, double-click down on March, since that's your primary activity currently. Um, what sure. are you try What are you investing in? What is the investment thesis of March Capital? So March Capital has a pretty broad mandate. We don't have any sort of focus that uh, our investors uh, allow us to invest in stuff that we think is exciting for us in the next five to ten year time frame. So if you look at our portfolio, you'll see a mix of early stage, which is Series A kind of companies, maybe you know 15 to 20 companies in every fund that we will invest anywhere from five to $10 million in. And these companies broadly today, 80% of them will have a focus on the enterprise, the enterprise software. And the majority of them, a vast majority of them are data-driven companies. So the, the real uh, way to think about it is can you use these new data-driven technologies to create a competitive differentiation in the market and have a winning differentiation. And if you do that, really today gives you a leg up from legacy software, legacy cloud software too. So if you think about it, in the last 10 years, the enterprise software companies that have grown more than, I would say, the mean or the median are the ones that are using the cloud as a delivery platform. And we believe that in the next 10 years, companies that are using AI-driven technologies, whether it's machine learning, deep learning, or data-driven technologies will have the same kind of growth on top of the cloud companies. So you'll see a vast majority of our companies have that in a flavor of that. Now, apply that into verticals. You can see that in cybersecurity. You can see that in customer care. You can see that in enterprise employee management, IT support. You can see that in... ERP systems or the next version of, you know, any process within an enterprise is being now redone with these technologies. So we have quite a few companies around there. Then we have a little bit of a growth focus in our fund. So we have companies that, you know, are raising anywhere from 50 to 250, $300 million, or we can write anywhere from 20 to $50 million into a company. And so we have, you know, a dozen such companies in our portfolio. Again, similar spaces, but more um, more mature companies, companies that are generating hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue kind of companies. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and you have companies in India, mm-hmm. a few companies in India, and then a few consumer companies that, you know, I'd say less than 20% of our, our portfolio is consumer, but we do have some exposure to consumer companies. So I was actually just about to ask you about geography. You said uh, you have companies in India, so does that mean that you invest globally, you invest in, in North America and India, or what's the, what's the geographical coverage? We don't, you know, we, we will never say that we won't do something, but if you look at what we've done, um, majority of our investments, 75% of our investments are in North America and about 25% global, and out of that 25%, most of that is in India. And the reason is what we do, we need local presence for. We have a partner in India. We have someone on the ground there. So we have someone on the ground to manage our investments. You know, we have um, a small presence in Brazil. We're trying to see if we can expand that. That may become more important five to ten years from now, but that's a growth place for us. We have a few companies from, you know, one from Israel, one from, from Germany, from Berlin. But these companies generally are maybe headquartered there, but the interest for us to invest in them is they want to build their business in North America, and we become their conduits to do that. So um, in North America, do you have any geographical preference, or are you investing all over North America? You know, we have... As as you would see in most every fund, North America also has these little now ecosystems outside of the Bay Area. Bay Area being the biggest, oh, where there is where there are you know in, in, there's a lot of innovation going on. So that sort of is represented in our portfolio too. We have companies in New York, we have a company in Boston, we have a company in Austin, a few companies in Austin. Um, but most of our companies will still be California. I'd say a good two thirds will be California. Southern and Northern California. Okay. And um, in terms of stage, you said uh, your early stage work begins at the Series A level with the, did I read it right, that it's a minimum $5 million check? It's not a minimum, but I'd say average is $5 million. They'd be written smaller, $1, $2 million checks as well. But you know, if you have a fund size, let's say it's between three and $400 million, you need yeah. to have a specific type of investment, you know, smaller seed investments don't necessarily fit there. So for the seed stuff, I use the, our platforms at the Hive and Fabric to do more of that. They write the less than, you know, from zero to $2 million kind of goes in from the Hive and Fabric. And then as those companies graduate, March looks at them. So, but um, on Hive, at least what from my, what I understand with uh, through my conversations with Ravi, and Ravi has been on the show as well, um, he is trying to do kind of bootstrap to exit with very small amounts of capital infusion. He's actually trying to drive its, his companies, his portfolio companies, to an exit, to an early exit, not necessarily working as a feeder into the venture ecosystem. Is that a correct observation? No, <laughs> if that is what he's saying, and I'll have to correct him. But uh, I think that can happen, and it has happened. And it's been very lucrative for a small pool of capital like the high, where you have an early exit and you don't have a massive amount of capital on top of that. And the structure lends itself to that very well. So he's not wrong, as in that is one part of the strategy of the high, and it has worked very well for us. But having said that, a majority of the companies that have come out of both the high and fabrics have gone out and raised venture money after the high. So, you know, I'd say 
out of the 25 companies we've had uh, come out of the hive, maybe three or four have been sold, but a good dozen to, to 15 have raised venture money. Okay. All right. So um, now for, I understand when you are working with hive companies as feeding into your uh, venture fund, when you're working with more the general market of people approaching you, what are you looking for in terms of validation in, in when you want to invest in a company? What do you want? Like, a, you know, we've heard all kinds of metrics, all kinds of, um, you know, conditions from various VCs who are looking at maybe a 1 million ARR or what is your comfort zone? Yeah, so I'm not sure we have any strict number-driven comfort zone. I think what you're looking for is some validation, whether that validation comes from the quality of the team and their past experiences, whether that validation comes from customers and um, numbers-driven validation, or it comes from um, footprint-driven valuation, because you, you know, we've seen companies that could have hundreds of people using them, hundreds of customers, but still hasn't quite turned on the revenue engine behind it. So there are, I would say, many ways for a company to be compelling. Um, there's no one specific formula. I will say, though, the nomenclature of what used to be Series A looks more like seed now, what used to be Series B looks more like Series A now. So we are That's seeing right. more and more companies with more proof points behind them come to us even for a Series A. And, you know, the, the Series A amounts have also changed. A, a Series A could look like 12 to $20 million into a company. Uh, which yep. used to be t 10 years ago, Series B. So I think those, those yeah. nomenclatures have necessarily changed. Yeah. There's a lot of bootstrapping going on, and that I think is a very healthy trend, actually, because, uh, I mean, you can get to more validation. The, the more validation you get, the, you're raising venture capital with more, more security and more understanding that you have a venture-scale company. Very often, if you raise a lot of money in the early stages without understanding that, you may very well basically put yourself out of business by raising venture capital because then you're not fulfilling the metrics and the um, expectations of your investors, and they're not going to continue to fund you. So, so there are many, many things that go into that. But one of the things to sort of understand is we did some analysis a few weeks ago for our own investor base and, and our annual meeting, and you see that the average age of a company that's going public right now is about 11 years old. And mm -hmm. 10 years ago, that used to be five to six years old. The mm -hmm. average IPO is also three to five times larger than it used to be five to six years or 10 years ago. So um, as a fund that has a limited lifetime, you want to be closer to the seeing an exit in the six to seven year yeah. time frame than 10 to 11 years. So all of that has shifted. It is also created for the C400, maybe they, at the height there were 500 angel-type funds that were under $50 million, maybe, you know, under maybe $100 million. That number has come down a little bit. It's probably half of what it used to be, but it's still a very active part of the ecosystem. And yeah. so Do you, necessarily um, when you encounter When you encounter situations where a company has already been around for a bit and has taken them time to find their product market fit, but they have found product market fit, but there has been some amount of you know, micro VC money that has gone into angel or micro VC money that has gone into the company. Do you, um, 
do you sometimes buy these funds out? Um, yeah, sometimes you clean out the cap table as best you can for the future. Uh, again, you know, it's all situation dependent. I can give you examples of companies where they've raised <laughs> no venture money but have continued to raise money from strategics, which is another now source of capital, which probably 10 years ago was one-tenth of what it is now. Yeah. Big corporates now have very active investing programs. Take your pick, any corporate will say that they have some kind of corporate venture program. Yeah. You know, there are certain things a venture fund looks for in a company structurally, um, team-wise, cap-table-wise, process-wise, which not are not necessarily best um, done in a bootstrap fashion or when you take money from non-venture resources, you know. So there is a little bit of a, um, I would say, clean-up, catch-up that needs to be done for a company to fit a venture profile in that case. Well, I think I was commenting on your 10, 11 years, um, you know, I mean, not just 10, 11 years. Some companies are going 15, 20 years uh, and then finding exits like lynda.com went Sure. They had a unicorn exit, but they were around for 20 years almost, I think 17 years or something like that. So, um, I mean, we have a company in our portfolio that is also something like 15 years that just completely bootstrapped, actually, no financing, and that's just sold for $60 million. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of that going on at the moment, and I'm just trying to understand how you view it from a timeline point of view, from a larger venture fund, slightly larger venture fund point, uh, point of view. So let's switch uh, to your portfolio. Talk about a bit of um, some examples of companies that are representative and, and that you like a lot and, and help us think through when they came to you and what did you see in them that really captured your imagination to want to write a check? So I think it's a, yeah, that's a very broad question because we have all types of companies in different stages. So I'll give you an understanding of one early stage. Let's focus on companies that you were in right from the early stages. Okay, I'll give you one that was a good exit for us where uh, we sold a company to VMware for about $600 yeah. million dollars called, called Velo Cloud. That started in the Fabric five years ago. And it was really an mm -hmm. idea that the Fabric founders had around the fact that the cloud is becoming more and more um, compute and networking intensive where you can take mm -hmm. core networking functionality and deliver it from the cloud. That was a kind of a radical idea at the time because most people mm -hmm. thought of the cloud as application-focused, not as infrastructure-focused. Mm -hmm. And so we started building this company, um, getting validation, meeting customers, but coincidentally met with um, two people who were a perfect fit as co-founders for this company. So Sanjay Uppal and Ajit Maya were the two who joined us day zero. And basically, at the minute they joined the company, that company became real for us. And that became valid for a, a Series A investment. So these mm -hmm. guys had done it before. They came from the industry. Both had worked together. They had gone to college together. They were a good team. And, you know, they drove that company from zero to, I think when we sold it, there were close to $100 million of bookings in, in the fifth year of existence, which is in mm -hmm. size and scale, you know, in five years, very hard to do. Very few companies have done it. Absolutely. That's venture scale growth. And, That's very hard to do. Yeah. And so you look for that. You look for greenfield opportunities where you have, you know, the compelling part of that was 
you have billions of dollars being spent when you have uh, when you open a branch office, say for a bank or a retail organization. The first thing you do is you buy a router, you hire someone to go uh, configure that router so you can access the applications in the data in your data center. And now what's happening is those applications are moving to the cloud. Your um, networking sort of you don't need a T1 line; you can get a one tenth the price a DSL line or a cable line and get the same kind of bandwidth. So you kind of had these multiple things happening at the same time that rise to a new way to deliver the same value. And, you know, so what, I think maybe um, we sold too early, but uh, it was a great exit for us. So uh, this is more of a, you know, trend question based on what you've just described the story. Um, the fact that so much is happening on the cloud right now um, what is what do you see as the future of companies, the core networking companies like Cisco and Juniper? Uh, how do you see them evolving, and what are the opportunities and gaps opening up because of this shift? So you can see that in their own strategies as well. Um, they are buying software companies at multiples that one that could defy logic because they also see that their core business is completely threatened. Yeah. Um, look, big telecom companies still run on big iron. It's not like that's going away. It is fast becoming commoditized, and value is moving into the software layer. And so, you know, you have um, people like Amazon entering the data center now. They're no longer just a cloud company. You've done a huge stretch to companies like Cisco or, or others that are in the data center, or HP or Oracle, or take your pick. Um, so the the it's not going away today or tomorrow, but the long-term trend is that big iron is getting commoditized. And mm -hmm. all of the intelligence, all of the value is moving into the software layer. And so what that does also is opens up the field because a startup to build a big iron box used to take you a couple of hundred million dollars. But today you can actually build a, a similar value company, show the value in less than one-tenth that money. Yeah. So, you know, there is a very healthy ecosystem now of companies competing with, and of course, for us, we have probably six companies, seven companies in our portfolio that ride on this trend, going right at the core of the networking business. Can you so, uh, talk yeah. a bit more about, since we are on this topic, can you talk a bit more about, uh, you know, what kind of problems are they solving in this portfolio that you just talked about? So very simple problems like, you know, you have now, if you have the Internet of Things and connected devices, and you suddenly, instead of having 5 billion endpoints, you know, endpoints being your cell phones or your computers or whatever you are, you take that up to 30 billion because now your electric meters are connected to the Internet and your house is connected, your car is connected, and everything gets connected. The network that, you, that was built by people like AT&T and others, which was on big monolithic centralized devices, cannot keep up with it. It's not, uh, it's too rigid. It needs to be more flexible. It needs to have more capacity at the edge, not at the center. And so a lot of that is driving for um, ways for, for new companies to innovate and kind of give bad value. So we have a company in our portfolio called IOTM, which is using a cloud orchestrator. And if I'm getting too technical, let me know. But you know, no, think no. about this. So saying, hey, if I have to now manage a billion devices, I cannot manage those devices by saying, if I want to upgrade something, I have to send someone on a motorcycle and put a computer and plug it into your 
building automation system and upload something or download data. You have to do it remotely. You have to do it securely. You have to do it in a scalable fashion where every device doesn't add another, you know, workload to us. So you're building these agent-less orchestrators in. Can you hear uh, Sumant? We can't hear you, Sumant. Ah. Okay, so he knows that we can't hear him. All right. Well, uh, while we wait for Sumant to come back on, uh, folks, please feel free to uh, to use the public chat to dialogue here. Um, I see that Basant Valetti is introducing himself. By all means, all of you are welcome to introduce yourselves while uh, Suman gets back on the call. Um, Basant says, Kulfi is a short form entertainment, short clips, clips and just platform. We are building Kulfi to connect users with the content in the language they speak. Basant, be very careful about monetization models around stuff like this. Um, it's very difficult to monetize media, and if advertising is your primary monetization model, that is very difficult to bootstrap. So have to keep all that in mind as you navigate. So Someone sorry about that. Part? I think I had a – yes, I am. I think there was some uh -huh. network error or something. Okay, so, so you were saying, we? um, go on. You were so, talking about you know, one of your positioning companies and the connected device issue. Yes, and so think about their first application was building automation. And if you think about building automation, the data that's coming out of that today in your HVAC system, your lighting system, et cetera, needs to be protected, needs to be differentiated from the data that's coming out of your data center or your servers or something like that. So creating for a secure fashion to connect devices, manage them from the cloud in an automated way. It's sort of the way that they've gone about building their business. And that's one application. They're in manufacturing, they're in oil and gas, they're in, 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 in transportation. There's a lot of that kind of work that um, is new, probably more important 10 years from now than it is today, but definitely very important to connect these devices. Otherwise, you can't use them. Yeah. We have another well, one called... The immediate one sorry, is sorry. that all the carriers who are dealing with, um, you know, their customers, the last mile customers, they still have to send technicians. If there's a real problem, they have still have to send technicians in, and and that's a very cumbersome model. And we are all at the receiving end of that, and and it's it's very frustrating. Correct. If something goes wrong, it's very frustrating. It's very expensive for them to manage this infrastructure. And no one's ever happy. No one's, no one's ever, ever happy. happy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So that's why the cloud um, is very is a good enabler for that. So um, I know based on your fund size, you're probably uh, still looking for more of the unicorn style companies. Is that a correct observation, or did I am I missing something? Yeah, I, I think any company that enters our portfolio needs to have the potential to be meaningful to us. So by that yeah. very nature for, you know, 
if you want one company to return you 100 to 200 million dollars, it has to be valued at you know, at least north of a half a billion, if not a billion, at exit. So if you look at the last 12 to 18 months of your deal flow, what are the trends that you see in that deal flow that have that kind of potential? What problems, what types of companies are you seeing that, that are venture scale segments or venture scale problems? Actually, like I mentioned, most of enterprise software, where you think about the massive tens of billions of dollars of equity value that have been created in the last 10 years, is being reimagined with AI. So we think that area has that potential. So whether you take ServiceNow, which is a IT support company that has you know, gone from, I think last, when it went public, it was probably a billion or two billion, now is a $40 billion company in the last 10 years, has gone up that much. You know, that IT service desk is being completely transformed using AI. So we have now a couple of companies going after that. Think about the call center industry, which is $350 billion spent every year. And like you mentioned, you call your Verizon or at I think we have another technical problem. This is going to be a very hard to transform into a podcast, Maureen. Someone, are you back? No. Folks, we'll switch very shortly to the entrepreneur pitch section of the conversation. We're almost done here with uh, Sumant. I'll just uh, take a moment to wrap up. And uh, while Sumant is getting himself organized, let me also uh, start setting expectations for the entrepreneur pitch session. To all the presenters who will be presenting here today or later, I'm sure some of you are here thinking about presenting later, I just want you to know that this is a working session, it's a safe working session. You don't need to be nervous or, or defensive. We are on your side, so we'll work on your problems and we'll try to help you accelerate your journey and that's about it. You don't need to be defensive at all. Sumant, are you back on? I am and I apologize, I don't know why. I think I was, I was talking about AT&T and they cut me off. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so you were uh, talking about the problem, uh, the AI-fication, let's say, of the whole enterprise okay, and, and all right. the SaaS companies the, are going after their AI strategies right now. So there you have potential of building unicorns because there's hundreds of billions of equity value that's completely being threatened by these new technologies. You look here, I think there are 14 companies in India that are worth over a billion dollars today that are venture-funded. My estimate is that number three to five is that in the next five years. And so you have potential of investing in companies there that could be records. We'll go into that. We have a couple in our portfolio already. Then you look at the industrial space. Now think about, you know, a nation's GDP, 25 to 50% of the country's GDP is industrials, and they still have entered the internet age. That's coming at a very massive, very fast pace. In fact, I think this year and next year is when you'll see hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue coming in from these companies. So we have a smattering of companies there. 
you know, you can take various different places and see how big these markets are, the revenue potential are, and then you can have a point of view on whether you can actually build a company of size and scale that matters. Yeah. That's how we think of it. All right. Well, Suman, thank you very much for your uh, perspective here, and uh, I'm sure uh, we'll, we'll uh, have a chance to connect afterwards. Yeah, um, thank you. Thanks for